Let us pray together. Gracious God, on this beautiful morning, we gather again to hear your word, which brings our souls to life. And we pray now for the guidance of your Holy Spirit, so that as we enter this season of Lent, we would each be guided together and corporately to let go of anything and everything that separates us from you and to hold on in new ways to the things that connect us with you and bring us into communion with you. We pray all this through Christ. Amen. This past Wednesday, Karen and Penn Miller gathered with their family and friends for the funeral of Karen's father, Gideon Yoder, at Locust Grove Mennonite Church in Belleville, Pennsylvania. And they were in our hearts and in our prayers as they did that. At that event, at that event many people shared about how Gideon and his wife, Hazel, had a special ministry of hospitality, graciously opening their home and opening their farm as a revolving door summer camp for many relatives and friends. And after the funeral, Penn and Karen and some of Karen's cousins suddenly felt homesick, suddenly felt homesick, and drawn like a magnet back, back to the Yoder farm. And so they all piled into cars and they drove back to the farm to drive back onto that piece of land and to remember what they had experienced there together as friends and as family. And one of the reasons that I love this story is that my cousins and I did exactly the same thing back in 1996 when our grandma Friesen died in Minnesota. And we all piled into cars and went back to the family farm. We were homesick. And I'm sure if we had the time, every one of us here this morning would have some story to be able to share with us about a place that you've been away from for a long time, but that you long to return to. Well, our Bible also tells a story of homesickness, a story of how all of humanity is homesick, and yearns from the place for the place from which we have all been long in exile. It's called the Garden of Eden. We all yearn for that place where long ago we were in full communion with God and each other 
and our true selves. And even to this day, that memory of paradise lost still haunts us. Some of you maybe remember Woodstock in 1969. Shall we have a show of hands? (laughs) And what did Joni Mitchell sing as she remembered that time? We are stardust, we are golden, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. We've got to get back to the garden. I invite you to open your Bible now. And this is going to be very difficult to page one. I think you'll be able to find it. Page one. Many Christians assume that our Bible begins with the story of sin entering our world, but it does not. It begins not with the story of humanity's original sin, but of our original goodness. Never forget it. On page one, we read the amazing story of how God lavishly created our planet with orchids and roses, chickadees and flamingos, pandas and kangaroos, and placed all of these wonderful things into the care and the stewardship of Adam and Eve. And still on page 1, verse 27... We learn, maybe it's page two for some of you. (laughs) It's on page one in my Bible. We learn one of the Bible's most crucial revelations. Verse 27, every man and woman is created in the sacred image of God. Every human being is infinitely precious because we all carry in us a bit of God's very being. Wrap your mind around that. And notice that it doesn't say all followers of Jesus are made in the image of God. All Mennonites are made in the image of God. It says all people. I'm getting off on another sermon here. (laughs) What that means is that we have to be on the lookout with every person we meet this coming week looking for the precious image of God that they each carry. And sometimes that image is so hidden that we have to take it on faith. But it's here. And this is one of the crucial revelations of Scripture to us. In all of creation, we are uniquely able to reflect God's image. What does that mean? Well, if we look at the other parts of creation, we can see that we image God through our ability to love, to be in relationship with one another, and to be creative. 
It is this image of God that is the essence and the core of every human being. And friends, this is why we can never kill or harm another person. Now in Genesis 1.31, what are the two words that God uses to describe the human beings that God has just created? Two words. What are they? Very good. Do you see what this means? In the eyes of God, flawed and sinful is not who we really are. It is God's image and not our sin, which is at the very core of our being and who we are. One of you recommended to me recently a book by Nadia Boltz Weber. And she says this, If God's first move is to give us our core identity, then the devil's first move is to throw that core identity into question. Now we're getting to chapter 3 in Genesis. And when we finally get here, notice how sin, just like a cancer, infects and distorts what is good. Adam and Eve, once happy to be free in God, now reach for the forbidden fruit of being free from God. And with great devastation now, sin comes in and shatters and breaks their communion with God in the garden. Adam and Eve are suddenly alienated from God. They're alienated from each other. And they are alienated from their own true selves. Communion is lost. And they start covering themselves with fig leaves. I guess this is where the fashion industry began. They hide behind trees, shame and fear, and then very soon, terrible violence all come parading into the human story. So when we read Genesis 3 in its fuller context with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we discover that sin is actually what makes us less than human. Less than God created us to be. Sin obscures and covers the image of God in every one of us. And Adam and Eve become, after this, exiles and fugitives from Eden. And humanity has been homesick ever since. Let us now turn to our second reading from Matthew 4. Out in the wilderness with Jesus today, we witness a scene that recapitulates, echoes, 
many of the parts of the story that we just heard. Echoing what happened in the garden, the devil comes now into the story with Jesus. And notice that this devil is a lot scarier than the snake before because this devil comes quoting Scripture. Verse 6. Now remember that the devil's M.O. is to throw our core identity into question. And so two of his three questions to Jesus begin with, if you are the Son of God. If, 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 he says three times. Just like us, verse 3, Jesus is tempted to doubt his core identity as God's child. Ever doubted that? Just like us, verse 5, he is tempted to put his relationship with God to the test. And just like us, verse 8, he is tempted to shift his worship and allegiance away from God. But by saying no each time and saying a deeper yes to God, our no's must be accompanied by a yes to God. We witness Jesus' great reversal of the story of the Garden of Eden, where humanity turned away from God long ago. And in Romans 5, we learn that while sin came into the world through that story of the garden, through the first Adam, and in Hebrew, Adam simply means through the first human, a restored relationship with God has now come to us through the second Adam, Jesus. Jesus comes to mend and to restore our broken communion with God. Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk and one of the great Christian writers of the last century, said that the story of the Bible can be summarized in six words. Communion given... Communion lost, communion restored. Communion given, communion lost, and in Christ, communion restored. And Jesus comes not only to restore communion with God, but also to restore our identity, our core identity as bearers of the image of God. His grace is poured into our lives, not to lead us into a different identity, but to reconnect us with the beauty of who we really are. His grace makes us radically ourselves. And the great mystery is 
that the more you and I become like Jesus, the more fully we become ourselves. If you turn in your bulletin, we have on the back page of the white insert, during these 40 days of Lent, which parallel the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness, our whole church and our kids included are being invited to take up the spiritual discipline of the daily examen. And this practice, which is also called sometimes the examination of conscience or the examination of consciousness, simply involves pausing at the end of every day to notice where we have experienced God's presence and where we have not. Where we have connected with God and where, wow, we really didn't. In practicing this examen this last week, I learned is I learned that the hardest and most stretching experience of my past week, and I imagine it was perhaps the hardest and most stretching experience for some of you as well, was volunteering at the women's winter shelter. I was there on Monday, and I think some of you are still going to be there tonight? Or is that done? Tonight yet. But the interesting thing is that this examen helped me to realize that even though it was the hardest and most stretching thing I did all week, it was also the place where I felt most alive and closest to God. My inclination is always to choose what will make me comfortable and secure and safe. But those things don't necessarily make us feel alive or connected with God. The goal of this examen is to help reorient our lives more fully toward those relationships and experiences and kingdom endeavors where we're most able to commune with God. This practice helps us to let go of those things that disconnect us from God, and to hold on in new ways to the things that bring us into communion with God. Friends, in your life this morning, what is separating you from God? What do we need to let go of? And what in your life is helping you to connect with God? What do you need to hold on to in new ways? This is what Lent is about. Dying to some things 
so that we can rise to new life with our Lord at Easter. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. This past week, I had the chance to drive up to the Middle Creek Wildlife Preserve to photograph the migrating snow geese. What a joy. And as often happens in my life, I was so focused on those snow geese that I didn't notice anything around that was happening. And then when I walked back to my car, the lady said, did you see those two bald eagles? And I said, no. But by then it was Monday, it was a very cold day, and I went to the warm car instead. But as you saw in the photo that I shared with you this week, I got home and there were my snow geese and behind them in several of the photographs were the two bald eagles perched in the tree. Isn't that wonderful? My prayer is that practicing this daily examine will lead to some similar surprises for us all. And most of all, as our theme song that we're now going to sing tells us, may the biggest surprise be that in seeking for God, we meet the God who has been seeking for us all along. Amen.